it's just a skill. You craft it and you have to realize that that skill is going to make you a lot of money and is going to blow your personal brand up and your business up if you can fine tune it. What is up, BA family, and welcome back to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast. Our guest this week went from scraping pennies together, mowing lawns to prop up his real estate business to three years later, making over a million dollars, selling over a hundred houses and owning five of his own as well at the ripe age of 27 years old. Tyler Hogan, AKA the millennial realtor is quickly becoming a household name in the real estate space based out of Dallas, Fort Worth. Tyler received no handouts, but through strategic placement and hard work, he has built himself up as one of the leading voices in real estate today. This is an exclusive two-part series to help you understand not only the mindset that it takes to go to the next level and become a leader in your industry, but also give you practical tips if you're interested in real estate, whether it's becoming a realtor, whether it's real estate investing, whether it's wealth creation, whether it's mindset. This podcast is going to give you tips. It's going to give you actionable advice to be able to use it in your own life and see results. That is what this show is all about. It's not here to just motivate you, but it's also here to give you tools that you can use in your own life to see results. Things that crafted his mindset and led him to where he is today and some of the stories early on and how he started building this momentum towards success. In part two, we're gonna get a little bit more granular into the real estate space. You guys don't wanna miss either of those. It really encompasses the whole point of success and how to build from nothing. And that is exactly what Tyler has done. If you want to hear more from Tyler after the show, you can find him at T underscore Hogan zero one. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit that subscribe button and let us know what you think. You can find us on Instagram at breathe and air podcast. We always love to hear your feedback so that we can continue to build this community that we call the BA family specifically for you and everyone else in it. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you a teammate, a brother, one of the leaders in the real estate space coming out of the DFW area, the millennial realtor, Tyler Hogan. Big Mace, I'm very, very fortunate to be here today. I know it's been like two years coming just to just to make this happen. So I'm excited. Um, where this podcast has gone has been amazing. Um, I'm proud of your success and um, just how you've grown this thing from nothing. So yeah, we. I mean, talk about growing something from nothing. You have, you know, created what's going to be a real estate empire, and there's much more to come on that. But I kind of want to touch on the roots and coming off of this huge year that you've had. What was one of the biggest lessons that you learned about yourself this past year? I would say that the goals I set were lower than what I'm actually able to achieve. And I think being able to expand my mental capacity past what I think is I'm capable of is something I've really been focusing on and the power of just one day at a time and just the compounding interest of work every single day is something that is very powerful. And it's something that it's hard to project on how far you can go in one year. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
It's really interesting just thinking back on, you know, your journey so far and, you know, the huge boom that you had. I know real estate and thought process combined. Grant Cardone is someone that, you know, you started kind of getting into when you started this trek and he talks about 10xing your goals. Was that really a foundation for you at at one point? Yeah, so I didn't focus as much on my actual goals from day to day as much as I did my day-to-day processes. So I was like, let me 10x the work I'm putting into this business. Let me 10x my just process I'm doing every day from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep and how can I maximize those hours um, just to produce more. So I focused more on the day to day than I did like the end goal because every time I looked at the end goal it was overwhelming and I was like, how am I going to get there? Um, so I was just like, let me just focus day to day and let's stack these days and see where we are at the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year. So do you believe in New Year's resolutions or no? I believe in um, self-development. I think you can set you know, so-and-so a new year's resolution throughout the year, as you come across things that you see might be holding you back or things that um, could help you progress. I'm someone that needs to always be chasing something so much bigger than me to keep me driven. So towards the end of 2022, I started 75 hard. Um, for those of you that don't know Andy Frisella, you can look it up. It's a really hard challenge where it's, there's a couple of different things you have to do throughout 75 days. And one of those is no alcohol. So after 75 days, and I've done this three times now, and the momentum you get from, from doing so is incredible. And I've watched my business, you know, two, three, four X in that, and just in that 75 day window from being locked in. And after those 75 days, I drank on New Year's Eve and I lost what felt like all my momentum overnight. And I felt terrible. And I just really got to thinking that I'm putting this poison in my body for what? Like, do I really need this? And it's really just holding me back from going to a place I want to go. And I looked at alcohol as like, this is going to, this is going to hold me back from my full potential. And the last thing I ever want to do is when I'm on my deathbed, no, I didn't live up to being the man that I could have been. So, and it was something that, um, it scared me at first. Cause I was like, I have so many people in my life that I share, um, great memories with through drinking. And I was like, I'm going to have to say no in a lot of different circumstances, but, uh, it's something that I wanted to take on and I felt could really help my business and my personal life just go to the next level. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge step for any, I mean, not that alcohol is the end all be all for some people, you know, everybody has those things that they feel like it are holding them back in that arena. And so for you to recognize that and then take massive action on it, like you've done in so many other areas of your life is a testament to your character. But I kind of want to talk about, you know, what got you to this point, even like, what did little Tyler aspire to be? Yeah. So I would say I grew up in a family where my dad works seven days a week. So I watched this man get up every single day and go to work and build a business from the ground up. And I fell in love with sports as well early on. And I'm not the biggest or the fastest guy ever on any team (laughs) I've ever been on. And I'm not the guy when you walk into a room, you look at and you're like, man, that dude's doing really big things in his life. So I've kind of had a chip on my shoulder from really the moment I started competing in life. So I've carried that chip throughout sports, through business, through school, and just through every interaction and every competition I'm in um, just throughout my entire life. Was there really a specific moment for you growing up? Like, I feel like sometimes when I think back, like there's a few moments that are ingrained in my head that always kind of come back to who I still am today, even though I've changed so much. You know, I just think like that little kid is still there that way, that little chip on your shoulder, you know, that thing someone said to you. Is there a moment when I'm saying that that pops up to you? You're like, damn, I remember when this happened and I've always carried that with me. Yeah, there was. So there's a couple, but one that really stands out to me is one of my best friends um, that I played high school football with. He ended up passing away. He was someone that I competed with daily. 
and we were running 40s, and I ran a 4.940, and he was running a 4.640. And afterward, he looked at me, and he said, you'll never be fast. You'll never be faster than me. And it was a moment where I was like, I'm going to show this man. I was like, I'm going to show him. So what I did was, is for the next six months throughout our entire offseason, I not only stayed after school every single day and ran sprints, but when I got home, I had bought a parachute that you can run with, and I ran up and down my street, and every day I did 10 up and down my street. All my neighbors knew me as the guy running with a parachute up and down my street. <laughs> so I did this for, for six months straight, and I'm talking every day. I did not miss a day. I, was, I just had that, that sentence he said to me in my head, and I was like, I can't get this out of my head. So after six months, we, we ran 40s again, and I actually ran a 4.58, which was incredible difference, and I beat him. And he came up to me and he just shook my hand. He was like, I'm proud of you. <laughs> and it was a moment where not only was it just a satisfying thing for me, it showed me that if you just stack those little days up on top of each other, where you can go is somewhere your mind can't even comprehend. So that's kind of where the foundation of hard work started for me. How old were you at that point? 15. I think I was 15 or 16 <laughs> years old at the time. And uh, like I said, I wasn't the fastest. And that was a moment where I was actually on our leaderboard for 40s and it was something I'll never forget. You were just starting to get some peach fuzz about that moment. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I was. I've always carried that chip on my shoulder, though. And uh, I've always been a hard worker. I used to actually, instead of taking the bus home from school, this is crazy, I was like, I could beat this bus home from school if I just jog home. And our school was about three and a half, four miles from from my house. So what I did every single day was I had this little briefcase instead of a backpack, and I had all my papers and stuff in it. And I would jog across the field, and I would basically run home every single day. And I'd beat the bus, and by the time the kids got off the bus, I was already in my sports clothes ready to play football. And I, or we'd be playing baseball there. For most of the time, it was football, but I would have it ready. And I'd be like, where y'all been? And it was just, to me, it was like a competition that I, they weren't even in with me, but I was in with them. So, um, yeah, it just, it's always, I've just been engraved that way to always compete. You have a brother as well. And was that part of, you know, the competitive nature that was in you? Did you guys kind of tussle a little bit or how was that relationship? Oh, absolutely. So the cool thing about having an older brother is that he's always with older friends. So a lot of the times when I'm playing sports, I'm playing against people that are older than me, that are faster than me, that are smarter than me, that have more tools than me because they've developed. Right. So when we're playing sports and I'm playing with these guys older than me and then I go play with people my age, it just helped me um, be much more competitive and, and more skilled. So, and obviously, you know, I took my fair share of uh, ass whoopings throughout <laughs> throughout my childhood. Um, but there came a time, probably my senior year of high school, where um, the, the roles flipped a little bit and uh, I started gaining a little size on him. So ever since then, uh, every uh, family outing we have, I, uh, I definitely uh, run my mouth a little bit just to get back at him. So for those who don't know, you, you know, grew up in Texas and football in Texas is like a religion at that point. So did you really funnel a lot of this competitive spirit into the game? And what was that like when you first started falling in love with the sport? Yeah, actually, I'll never forget this. So I used to play baseball growing up. That was like my sport. Played football as well, but I was always kind of scared to get hit. So I was like, I want to play baseball. Like I was really, really good at baseball. And it was about seventh grade. I went to my first high school football game. And I'll never forget sitting in those stands with those lights shining down on the field and the crowd and like the smell of the food. And it was something that it, it just hit me. And I was like, I don't want to play baseball anymore. I want to play football. Like I want to be a part of this. 
because baseball games don't look like this. <laughs> yeah. So from that moment on, I kind of just flipped. I was still playing baseball. I started really getting into football. And then my freshman year of high school, I quit playing baseball altogether and I went full, full fledged into football and the rest was kind of history. But um, that's where the, the love of the game really started is when I got in that atmosphere and I was like, I've never felt this in my life. So. Yeah, that's that's a great description. All the sounds, sights, and like the energy that just kind of buzzes yeah. on a Friday night in Texas. I mean, in any small town, really. It, it kind of makes me think, too, like, what was it about that atmosphere that really grabbed you? Like, was it the energy that you felt? Was it like you know, the cheerleaders and the the football players out there and like the masculinity that is the game. Like what was it that really grabbed you about the game? Cause I feel like a lot of people take different things from viewing versus actually playing, being a part of it. Absolutely. I would say obviously the environment's incredible. The band, um, the smells, the, the, the crowd, the lights. I think the biggest thing though, is that when you're on that field, you're on that field with a bunch of grown men, you know, and there's so many different things that have to fall into place as a wide receiver for you to get the football. And (laughs) you live for those moments when they call your number and you're one-on-one with the guy in front of you and you beat them and you catch that ball and you score and all eyes are on you. The band's going crazy. Your coaches are smiling and just everyone that was looking up to you and all those hours you put in prior just all pay off at once. And that feeling alone was just something that, um, it was almost like a drug. And and, I, and once I felt it once, I, I wanted to feel it every single day for the rest of my life. I had a gentleman by the name of Corey Camp. Shout out, Corey, if you're watching or listening. But I had a guy come on, and he was talking about uh, how athletes are addicts. And I was like, wait, in what way? Because <laughs> I've seen it in multiple ways. Yeah. And he was like, no, because you know we get ingrained to feel this high that is yeah unmatchable right and feel like the buzz of the crowd and you know being such a flow state in the game and then all of a sudden it's taken away and it's like where like what what happens now because we're addicted to that do do good thing get good result get get that feeling and all the hard work that leads up to it is like this crescendo of just ecstasy is the best way to explain it like what do you think about that statement um, as far as like transitioning, it, it, it's really tough. I think that was probably one of the toughest things I ever had to do as a man. And it, it took me two years to really transition from being in the, the football atmosphere to, to no longer having that, losing the brotherhood, losing the, the routine, losing just your sense of being as who you are as a person. So for me, it was really hard to, to, to make that move. But I was able to take that energy that I was once putting into football and move that into real estate. And I really believe that if I didn't have that football career in that, in the prior life I had, that there's no way I would have made the noise I made in the real estate industry so far. So for me, it, it wasn't really hard to build the real estate um, business because I just took the same energy and passion that I had for the game of football and put it into real estate. And, um, it's been a blessing that I've been able to actually channel that energy into something and it's not, you know, destroying my life. It's actually building my life. What was it like in the transition phase from high school to college? And, you know, how was that for you? Cause I know the recruitment process is different for everybody. So for me, I really think I probably took the hardest route possible to play college <laughs> football. And it, it was really unfortunate. Like I said, I've, the chips have not always fell in my favor. Like thing, it just haven't. And 
I've always been the hardest working person in the room and I truly believe hard work can get you past any circumstance. So my transition from high school to college was kind of traumatic because out of high school, I had 12 division two scholarships. I committed to a school and the night before signing day, they dropped my, they basically called me and said, we offered too many kids money. We can't honor your scholarship, which is something as an 18 year old that just broke me. And I'm like, yeah. are you serious? Like I've, you know, I put 18 years into, to get here. So called all the other schools. They gave their money away. So it put me in a really tough spot. Um, I had to make a decision. Where am I going to go play football at? And wherever I go play, I'm going to be a walk on. There's not going to be any money for me. So I remember there was a junior college in Navarro that had, had recruited me out of high school and I kind of just told him to kick rocks because I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to a junior college to play football. I'm going to a university. Like, do you, do you see what I'm doing on the field? And at that moment I had to eat my pride. I said, guess what? I guess I'm calling some junior colleges. So I sent my film to every junior college in, in the state of Texas and, um, in the NJCAA. There's a conference that, uh, SWJCC, I think was the name of the conference, but I sent my, my film to every school and there was one school that reached out to me. And it was a couple weeks before fall camp and it was Cisco junior college. And I'll never forget when uh, coach Nichols called me, I had a voicemail and I was, I was actually working cause I was at that point going to be paying for my college. So got off on my lunch break. I got the phone call or it was a voicemail and I listened to it and I almost started crying cause I was like thinking I wasn't going to play college football, you know, like the, the road was very, very unclear on where I was going to be going. And I had, you know, I was first team unanimous all district at my, in a Texas 5A football team and a really, really good district. And, you know, we have multiple other kids that were wide receivers that I went up against. They all had division one scholarships that were going on to these big schools and I had better stats than every single one of them. So for me, I was like, it just didn't make sense. But Cisco ended up giving me an opportunity and I really believe that changed my life. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with junior college football, it is not <laughs> traditional college football. Um, there's very little rules there. It's a really tough environment. Um, the dorms we lived in had mice that were running around. Um, there was crickets all over our cafeteria, all over our weight room. All the equipment you're using is extremely run down. Um, the food is beyond, um, it, it's really kind of like prison food. I've never been to prison, but I've, I've watched documentaries <laughs> like eggplant, Parmesan, um, and it, it was bad. And anyone that's played junior college football, I guarantee could, could speak on this as well. But yeah, I went to junior college for two years. Um, I grinded it out. I competed that in itself is an entire story, um, on what that looked like for those two years of my life. But I can truly say those two years, it humbled me. It put me around a lot of young men that were coming up in troubled atmospheres that had the short end of the stick, just like I did, but in different, different circumstances. And it put us all in a city with probably 1500 people, two cops in the entire city. And all we had was football and each other. And for two years of our life, we, we grinded, we competed with each other, with other, you know, junior colleges to, produce enough film to be able to get recruited to a university. And then from a uh, junior college, I got a scholarship to play at Lindenwood university. And that was a huge blessing. And I was really unsure about it at first, but honestly just being onto a university campus and eating university <laughs> food to me was enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I remember correctly, you had a pretty awesome host for your, Oh man, that's when I knew. That's when I knew I was in trouble. They uh, they paired me with Mason over here, man, another Texas boy, and uh, oh, the rest was history. <laughs> I think I think this whole story, even just of like getting to Lindenwood and how we met, it just I think encapsulates everything that you've done now, and it shows that it's not by chance, you know. Yep. And there was all those hard things and those hard moments. But it just shows like the character that was continued to be built. You kind of mentioned earlier, 
you know, your dad, you, you saw him kind of as like the workhorse, you know, working seven days a week, entrepreneur, building a business kind of did, what did that ingrain in you too? And do you think that was a big part of, you know, your hardworking spirit through football and now into real estate as well? I did. I think, um, everything we've learned is taught and, and caught as well at the same time. You know, the, the atmosphere you grow up in kind of shapes your, your, your life, your adulthood. I think a lot of the traumas and stuff we deal with as adults are also shaped from our childhood. But one of the good things that I took away was, was that hard work. And this man, I, I speak really highly of him. Um, he raised me really hard as well, though. But he got up every day. He worked seven days a week. There was no handouts in our family. It was, if you want money, he owned a company. I went and did furniture deliveries from the time I could walk. I was in a <laughs> delivery truck delivering furniture, carrying pillows in for him. And then I grew up in the furniture world for since I can remember. So, yeah, it, it, it engraved a lot in me. And it taught me a lot about hard work and just the value of a dollar. So we were kind of talking about you know, your transition. And I think a lot of people watching this right now, you know, are going through a similar transition, whether it is through athletics into, you know, the working world or whether it's someone that's transitioning to a certain phase in their life, kind of like what you said earlier about, you know, transitioning into this no drinking phase of your life. So I think it's something that everyone can relate to, but for anyone that's making that transition, what is something that has helped you or in hindsight, you wish you would have done to make those transitions easier for you? So it's tough. Anytime you're making a transition, your body is going to react to it in a way that's going to tell you not to do it. So you have to learn how to fight your body. And I think uh, working out personal health is is really important because it's going to help you be able to fight those emotions off. So anytime you're transitioning, you're going to be very uncomfortable. And you have to recognize that when you are uncomfortable because you're making a transition in your life, that it's for the better. And sometimes you have to go back to every time any time in your life you've had a transition in the past and what it felt like and be like, oh, I've actually felt this before. I know what I'm dealing with right now. Um, and then fight through that. But also you have to have, you know, a purpose in mind. Like you have to have an end goal in mind. You have to know exactly where you're going. You have to have a vision. Um, and it has to be your vision that, that your heart truly is seeking. And I think being able to pull into those, into those emotions. And like we were talking about David Goggins, the cookie jar, Sometimes you have to reach into your cookie jar and that cookie jar has to have things that fuel you, whether that's, you know, someone that's wronged you in your past, whether that's, you know, a failure you've had, you know, anything from your past that really brought you like an immense amount of pain. Sometimes you can use that pain and pull into the cookie jar and pull it out into your head and use it to, you know, progress forward through those uncomfortable circumstances and know that, you know, there's people you need to prove wrong. There's yourself. Sometimes you need to prove wrong because there's those doubts in your head that you, you know, you have to teach yourself that those are just thoughts and that doesn't make up who you are and that's not who you are. So we all have really bad, you know, thoughts that come into our mind when we're making these transitions. And I think being able to filter through those and and tell yourself, Hey, that's not the truth. And where I'm going is much more bigger than what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. It's hard to separate yourself from those emotions sometimes, but a thing that I thought of the other day that we kind of talked about a little bit was just the fact that, you know, our mind is really our enemy. You know, we talk about like mindset and we talk about like creating a strong mind, all of these things. It doesn't matter how much you do to create a strong mindset. I mean, it's important, you know, you have to understand and be aware and kind of see yourself from that third level perspective, um, as opposed to being driven by emotions. But at the same time, your mind is always going to default to what is easiest and most comfortable because that's how our biology is. That's how we are as humans. It's fight or flight. It's 
science to an extent, like our bodies is going to go to the place where we feel more comfortable so we can survive. That's just instinctly humans. <laughs> it is. It is. And the way I like to look at that as well is every day when you wake up, you're at war with the world and you're at war with your mind and you have to treat it that way. And the second that you don't believe that is when you'll start going backwards and you start falling into those, you know, comfortable patterns that you're so used to. That's why I think, you know, fitness is so important. It's like when I don't feel like going to the gym, I force myself to go to the gym because it's my medicine. It's like, this is what's going to heal me. This is what's going to help me. So being able to fight through um, workouts, fight through things that you're uncomfortable with is actually in the end going to, you know, transition your mindset and then transition where you actually are in life. So yeah, it is, it's a daily war and, you know, of course I want to wake up and drink alcohol, go out with my friends. I want to go eat fast food. I want to, there's so many things that I truly want to do every single day that I have to filter out of my life because there's bigger things ahead that I'm trying to obtain. The thing with that too is, is it's always in that moment where you could give up, give into the voice and it feels good for the moment, but then you feel like shit afterwards, usually because at least for me, this is how my brain works. And I think you're pretty similar in this Uh, is that like in that moment you feel it, you you like have a choice to make, you go one of two directions. If you go the one direction, then you might feel like types of shame or like, you know, regret later on with it. But if you just go through the hard and you like push through that wall at the, at that point, then you always feel so much better for it after it's like a morning workout or like, you know, making sure that you eat good and like eat intentionally or, you know, making sure that you stay up the extra hour to prepare for something so that you feel better when you're actually in the arena. What's a moment for you where you've been like, dang, this sucks. I really don't want to fucking do this, but it's paid off dividends for you once it was actually time to go. So I would say 75 hard, really changed my life in a lot of ways. And the reason being is it was 75 days living in the most cleanest, purest form of life I possibly could. And a lot of times we don't realize the things we're putting into our body and what the harm they're doing is because we live with those side effects 24 seven. And you don't think they're side effects. You think that's just a normal part of your life until you actually give up those toxins, those bad habits, and then change them and replace them with healthy food and good habits. And then you start to realize, wait, there's another part of life that I haven't been living, that I can feel good every day, that I can be happy every day, that I don't have to worry about a hangover the next day. I don't have to worry about regretting decisions I'm making. Um, and then when you make those big decisions in life, you have the cleanest subconscious because you're like, I know leading up to this, I did every single thing in my power and everything was in line how it was supposed to, to make this decision. So you truly do live with no, like no regrets. And it really took 75 hard for me to cleanse myself for 75 days, which 75 days might not sound like a lot of days, but it is a ton of days and it feels like eternity when you're in it. And if you've never heard of 75 hard, I truly, truly, truly just encourage you to, to look that up and to take on that challenge. Cause it will change your life. I promise you when you get done and you do it the right way, you'll never be the same. And it'll, it'll point out red flags in your life that you had no idea were red flags and you'll start seeing life through a, through a new lens for the better. So I think, You've done 75 hard three times now. You just kind of talked about the importance of it, but what was your daily schedule like when you were doing that? Because it, I think people don't realize like if for someone who's doing it with like a day job, how would they even maneuver that? Yeah. So I truly think it'd probably be harder to do with a day job. I'm an entrepreneur, which 
I get to make my schedule and, you know, some days I don't, but most days I do. And it it's one thing that when you do 75 hard, you're committed for 75 days. A lot of the things you're doing in your life, you no longer can do. You, most of the time, you're not going to be able to go out and hang out with your friends as far as like go to like bars and stuff. Um, you really have to be detailed in your timing for your day. So like what my schedule looked like when I was doing 75 hard was I'd wake up about six or 7 a.m. I'm not an early, early riser. Some days it was 8 a.m. You know, I'm more of a, a late night guy. So first thing in the morning, I would knock out, I'd take my progress picture. I would read my 10 pages. I would start on my water and then I would go ahead and knock out my first workout and I would just start the day as fast as possible and knock out as many tasks, especially the reading. And there's certain things I just don't like to do. I don't like to read. So I get the hard stuff done early. So I'm like, that's done. And by that time, by the time I'm done with my first workout, I've knocked out a majority of it already. And then from there, you know, the rest of the day, you, you can just eat clean. You don't have to necessarily too, focus too much on that. Um, drink your water throughout the day. And then um, towards the nighttime, depending on, you know, my schedule, if I was showing houses or what I had going on, I would either knock out the workout in like kind of the afternoon in like a slow period. Or when I finish showing houses, sometimes eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, I would knock out that second workout and then be done for the day. So um, each day kind of varied, but my mornings were pretty much the same every single day. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say on this, but what, <laughs> what kept you motivated during that? So the first time I did 75 hard, I was in a place where I felt I wasn't gaining. I was like, I'm, I'm slowly growing, but I'm slowly growing. And I didn't like that. And I just want to, to put myself through something that was uncomfortable and when I was playing sports, I lived in a very uncomfortable state, whether it was being sore, whether it was fighting for a spot, like it was a constant, you know, position of being uncomfortable. And I felt that like I lost myself. I lost that competitive nature. I lost, um, just, I, I haven't been in an uncomfortable spot in a while. And I was like, I need to challenge myself. I need to, I need to make some changes. Like I was tired of waking up hungover on the weekends. Like I was tired of just living among everybody else and being just like everybody else that bothered me. And I was like, I am going to be greater um, and aspire to be more than just the average person. So that was when I took the, the leap. I was like, I'm going to do this for 75 days. And it was something I actually, I thought about for two years. It took me two years to commit to this. And I used to make all these excuses about, you know, why I shouldn't do it and why it wasn't really going to help. And so, and finally I was like, I'm lying to myself because I can't do it. And at that moment, I was like, I'm doing this because I'm going to prove this to myself that, that I can do this. And I also knew the benefits of it were going to be something that I could have never imagined. So that was when I took the leap to, to really start. And the first time I did it, it was so exciting. Just being on a journey every day and just being able to tell people, why are you drinking so much water? Why are you doing this? No alcohol. I'm like, I'm doing 75 hard. Like, I just felt like I was on a mission. And being able to tell that story to everybody I encountered to me was very powerful. And it made me feel and stand out among all other people in my life. Yeah. I think you do a good job of, you know, speaking your truth as well and kind of, you know, not really caring or separating yourself, like you said, from the pack and what may be the quote unquote norm. And that's why you've had, I think, a lot of success in your life is because you've taken that work ethic and combined it with, hey, I don't really care that much with what other people think about what's going on here. This feels right to me. Has it always been like that for you or was this something that you kind of had to grow into? So I would say... From a very young age, I realized that if I wanted to be anything in this world, I was going to have to do it by myself and I was going to have to take that burden upon myself. Um, and that started from a really young age. You know, my, my dad worked a lot, so there wasn't someone always there holding my hand. Matter of fact, nobody was telling me to go work out 24 seven so that I could play college football, so I could play high school football. I, I took that up on myself. So I think taking personal responsibility for where you are in life, what tools you do have and what tools you don't have and being like, 
I'm going to figure this out. There's a way. And I, from a very young age, I, I took that mindset and carried it through my life from sports to real estate and so on. So, um, I think anybody that can be like, okay, I'm not going to rely on my, my parents' money or, you know, maybe you, there's some kind of shelter you have that, that's keeping you in your, the comfortable, you know, state of mind you're in, being able to push that out of the way and be like, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Cause at the end of the day, I'm all I have. And when I get buried, I'm going to get buried alone. So being able to take that mindset into everything you do, I think is really important. What allows you to keep that edge now that you have, you know, top 1% success for your age? Just, I have a very competitive spirit and the the answer on where I want to go is always more and to grow more. And I just, for me, I want to be the youngest, most successful person that people encounter. I want people to be like, man, you're 26 years old. Like, are you serious? I love when people say that, that drives me because yeah. I feel like our generation has a bad, um, just a bad rep among the older generations and they don't respect us. And I truly believe that. And I believe we have more resources, skills and knowledge than any generation before us. And it's very evident in the fact that we have these 21 year old millionaires that are YouTubers that sit behind the game system all day. And they took, (laughs) they took something that our parents, you know, frowned upon so much. I'm like, go outside, go do this, go do that. Like get off the game. And we, we were able to make it a income stream for us that made us wealthier than our parents before we even got out of our twenties. So I think the way our generation has been able to um, just develop skills and be able to use the things that we love to do to create income is is really, really cool. And I'm trying to tap into the older generation to where they respect us, you know? So like I'm almost chasing a respect thing at the same time as I'm like building a legacy for myself that I can pass on to my kids' kids and then my kids' kids' kids. I want people to remember who I am when I leave and not just because of what I've built, but the person I was as well. Yeah, I think... I always talk about this. It's interesting with our generation. If you're a later, you know, millennial and you're right on the cusp of when technology started happening, we remember, I remember my first phone was a little sliding. Like I was so hyped (laughs) to get it. I remember I was like, let's go. No more texting girls on aim. I got a phone now. (laughs) I'm about to be holding everybody's hand. Let's go. But (laughs) It, uh, it's interesting because we have that and then we've seen the progression of technology at a freaking rapid rate, you know, with the first iPhone to the iPad or I, the little iPod, right? When that came out, I remember plugging in your, uh, little cassette tape. That was the first aux cord because the cars still had the cassettes. So we've seen this technological transformation, automation, you know, we've seen a lot of these things that are con- going to continue to be innovative and help you know, the United States and I think business and the economy continue to grow, but we also have some of those ingrained older work ethic and, you know, thought processes that were given to us from, you know, whether it's our grandparents that went, went through depressions and like world war two and all of these things. And that time frame, which was so hard, um, it's, it's so interesting to me now, like being able to see how quick the world is changing. Yeah. So just to speak on that. So my family and the older generation, something that they have that we don't have that I actually have taken from them is a scarcity mindset. My family and, and just my dad, like he, he moves in a very slow controlled state. When he makes a financial decision, it was very thought out. Our generation is very impulsive, which is why Amazon is the company it is now. Cause we, it's so we, the easier it is for us to spend our money, the more money we're going to spend, especially the millennials. 
And my dad is in his, the generations above. They don't work like that. They're, they, when the way they made their money was hard nosed blue collar work day in and day out on very, very little wage. And, and they stacked those dollars and that's how they became wealthy. Our generation, you have these 21 year olds and in two years, you know, three years, you've become a millionaire. You know, some do it even quicker than that. And so because of the fast success, we're also more, you know, we can spend it faster. So something that, that I've taken from my parents that I think is a curse and a blessing is a scarcity mindset. Like I still have clothes that I had in high school. Like <laughs> I just can't get rid of them just because they, not only they have value to me, but like I just, I, for some reason, even the the amount of money I make, I just can't get rid of it because I just feel like I'm, I'm wasting and, and I don't like to waste just because I was raised that way. And that's something I took from my parents that I actually just in this moment realized I was like, I have a scarcity mindset and, and, you know, I take a lot of chances and I, and I take risks, but I, I sit in that gray area between scarcity and taking risk. Um, and it's definitely something I inherited from my parents. Yeah. I think that you definitely lean harder on the like conservative scale, which is fine with, with your finance. I think, you know, that's super important. You hear like Gary Vee and all these people talking about like, dude, you just, like a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, <laughs> no matter if you have a hundred million dollars or you have, you know, 50,000, but, um, I think too, you do have though, from what I've seen is an abundance mindset at the same time, because there is no level of success that you believe isn't achievable. And also there is no shortage of success. And I think you believe that too, because of the way that you are an active servant in what you do and the people that you help. So kind of tell me a little bit how, you know, when you started a transition into this phase of, Hey, I'm out of college you know, I'm, I'm starting to decide what I want to do with my life. <laughs> like how did that kind of all fall apart? Yeah. So throughout my entire, you know, high school, college, uh, career, my goal was in my plan was to work for my dad's company. He owns multiple furniture stores. I grew up in these businesses. I can really attest to tell him I helped build these. And he would say that as well. Um, those stores will always mean the world to me be just because of the hours I put in the employees that I've worked with for years. Like a lot of our employees are family to me and like they see me and they would call me family. Um, but yeah, so my plan through college was to work for my dad and that's what I did. So I graduated college with my master's degree in business, my MBA, and I started working for my dad. And the thing about my dad is he has an entrepreneurial spirit. Well, guess what? The apple didn't fall far from the tree and me and him butted heads. Of course I have, you know, the technology mindset of social media and he has the old school we're going to do it this way and we're going to work off of paper, not technology, not software. And we just didn't get along to be honest. And it wasn't going to work. I was like, I'll like my dream on where I want to take my life and what I want to build is so much bigger than what he's going to let me build. And I quit and I left his company after three months. And it was really tough for our relationship for probably six to seven months. We didn't talk much at all. Um, and I really didn't know when that relationship was going to be revived. But what I did know is that I had to be selfish in my future and for my kids that I don't even have yet. And for the wife that I'm don't even know yet, um, I have to build something that they can lean on. And I didn't feel like I could do that under his wing. So I left, I made a decision for myself and for my future. And it was the best decision I could have ever made in my entire life. And looking back, it was, it was awesome because now four years later, me and my dad are closer than we've ever been. I think me and my dad might be the closest than anybody else in our family as we talk daily. I mean, you heard a conversation you know, probably two hours ago about how we're looking to purchase this apartment complex together. We we're in real estate together. We're in business together. Um, just not, uh, as far as like our main bread and butter, I'm in real estate, he's in furniture, but, but we connect them in, in certain ways that, that works for us. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> I mean, it's crazy because I feel like a lot of the decisions that we sometimes make are based on subconscious thoughts or things that we believe to be true on how we were raised or, you know, we don't want to upset someone in our family like a dad, I mean, or a mom or a brother, sister, friends, you know, whatever that may be in your life. So it's, it's interesting. I love your story because it's like you guys butted heads and I remember that time period, but now it's like you guys are best buddies again because you had to make the decision that was best for you. And being selfish in that moment was okay. Yeah, it was. It was the, and I encourage anybody right now, be selfish. Your future is, it's in your hands. At the end of the day, your bills have to be paid by you and your future and your happiness is you. You live in your own head every day. They don't live in your head with you. So you have to understand that when you make decisions, you should be selfish um, until you get to a deci- uh, a point where you have family and, and people counting on you. But yeah, I think especially growing up, your early 20s, transitioning from you know school to career, you should be the most selfish person in the world with your time, with your energy, and, and what you're building. You mentioned kind of you were seeing the business from a technological standpoint. Pops wanted paper. We are starting to see a very interesting time where AI is, you know, starting to boom and it's going to happen fast. I mean, it's already happening, but with like chat GPT and all these things that are starting to come about, it's getting even stronger and bigger. And I feel like it's just going to snowball. What do you see chat GPT, AI, the technology, technological transformation doing to the real estate industry, if anything? So this is, this isn't, I was listening to a guy named Ryan Serhant. He's a real estate broker in New York. And he said on one of his reels and and it all registered with me literally a week ago, he said, we sell multi-million dollar penthouses and homes in New York through the sons of billionaires and millionaires leveraging TikTok. And I was like, what is this man talking about? And he said, the kids watch our videos and show the fan, the parents and the parents buy the houses because we're marketing to the kids. And I said, there's no way, like there's no, and I like didn't believe it. And about a week ago or two weeks ago, I posted a TikTok that it kind of went viral, got about half a million views. And I got so many calls and texts, but this one really hit me. This guy called me out of Houston, Texas. And he said, my son showed me your TikTok I'm a construction worker and I own a construction business here in Houston. I'm looking to invest my money into real estate. It looks like what you're doing is amazing and that you're killing TikTok, man. I'd love to work with you. When I'm in Dallas next, can I take you to lunch? And it was a moment for me where the light bulb just clicked on and I was like, wow, this is what our world has come to. And uh, it was a cool moment and it's just adapting to the times. But um, for me, it was like technology is the way to grow a business, especially in today's day and age. Yeah, that was one of the big reasons why I started the show was because I had a passion for it. But at the same time, I was like, I know that Internet is the business. Like I want to be able to learn how to leverage the Internet, leverage this thing that we all have in our hands and this huge reach that we can have. Uh, you know, through whatever it may be to get our message out there, to push our product, to push our service, to meet potential people that we could help at the end of the day. Right. And it's funny because TikTok, like when it started, you just think of like dancing. I'm like, I was so anti TikTok. I didn't even have an Instagram until I created the podcast. It was like three years ago. So it's interesting, um, you know, what it's becoming now and how many really adults and the, you know, boomers and later generations are really utilizing the platform now. 
Absolutely. It's, it's everything. And it's, it's still early. It's not too early to get on TikTok. I think the app's going to continue to develop and grow. I think Instagram's kind of on its downslope and, and TikTok's on the upslope. And it's funny. So I've really been, been paying attention to TikTok lately. And when I'm out in public, I've just been looking at, you know, I, I like to people watch. And when I'm at like in line at Chipotle, I kind of look and see what the person in front of me is doing, person behind me just kind of watching. I can't tell you the amount of times I've looked up and someone's on TikTok now. Um, and I see it all the time. And I'm like, this is the new Instagram. This is the new way to market TikTok right now. I believe it's, it's the hottest commodity out there and it has the biggest reach possible. So if you're listening to this and you own a business, run a business, you want to grow, get on TikTok. It's amazing. It'll, it could change your business. Just one video alone. I want to talk a little bit about that too, in terms of people are like, Oh, what do I post on TikTok? Like it's overwhelming at first, especially for someone who's new to the space. But I think it's important to build a personal brand. That's really what you've done in the millennial realtor and even in just Tyler Hogan, the realtor that is, you know, having a lot of success in that space. I think it's because you've built a personal brand and now that content is an extension of your personal brand. So how did you really start building that? And was it something that happened just kind of like by osmosis or was it more calculated? So when I first got into real estate, I knew social media was going to be the way that my business blows up. So I just started posting videos. Man, I look back at the videos I posted four years ago and I cringe inside. <laughs> just hearing myself talk and like I was projecting into the the camera just really loudly because the confidence was fake because I really was so new and I was just trying to figure it out. So the I learned as I went. I learned how to post. I learned, you know, how to create content just by consuming and at the same time creating and it takes time, just like anything. Your first video is probably not going to blow up. You're probably your 10th video is not going to blow up. But you learn. And every time you post something, you'll kind of see, oh, I could have tweaked this here. I could have tweaked that there. And then once you get down the line, you'll really start to pump out content that, that actually has a great reach. And it's just a skill. You craft it. And you have to realize that that skill is going to make you a lot of money and is going to blow your personal brand up and your business up if you can fine-tune it enough. So just working through the um, just working through that process is it's tough. It's frustrating. Um, any content creator out there will tell you it takes hours and hours and days and days and days of filming. I mean, just setting up this studio that we put together. I don't know. We probably spent two hours getting these all right, and we're probably still going to look at this when we're done and be like, "Man, yeah. these angles were not good. Like, this sucked." And it, like I said, like two years from now, we're going to probably record another podcast, and it'll be so much better. Yeah. But you have to start somewhere, and if you never start, you'll never get to that point where um, you're at the top of the game the top of the mountain yeah absolutely I, I think that's just the confidence is built through the experience through the times that you've trial and errored mm -hmm. like the failures exactly, yeah. over and over again you're like well i'm not gonna do that again <laughs> like that didn't work at all you know that i fell flat on my face that didn't get any views you know that didn't give me any business i wasted days hours that relationship didn't work whatever that may be like those failures are all i think pointing you in the right direction and making you wiser for it, right? Yeah, it, it's crazy because the, the TikTok I posted that blew up, I was like, I just spent so long, so many days recording this. I might post this and this might do awful. And I was thinking that in my head like, here we go. I pressed send and I was just sitting there like, I literally just spent probably 48 hours straight putting this together. And you just never know what video, what moment, what conversation, what relationship is going to just push you to the place you need to be to blow up. And for me, that video, it did wonders for me. And it not only did it did bring me a lot of clients, it opened up my mind to where the industry is and where I can take my business just off of this one platform alone. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of 
you know, aspiring agents, maybe someone who's interested in real estate at this point, um, or maybe someone who is a real estate agent and is seeing the success that you've had in going from zero to a million dollars in commission in a short period of time. So, you know, what was some of the biggest lessons that you learned? We talked about failing, right? What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned in those early stages that you would suggest other people not make? Yeah. So, there's a couple, I don't think there's necessarily anything I did wrong. I think every, everything I did wrong, so to say, was something I needed to do wrong to, to fine tune my skills. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I can give you that you should be doing as a new agent, or even just a, even if you are a successful agent and you're just looking to kind of grow your business, pouring into people. And we were on a mastermind call yesterday and, and yeah. they were kind of on this guy's, you know, case about, you know, giving his service out for free, but he was given his service for free because he had a big heart in the person that he was giving his service to didn't have the money to pay him. And they had a really traumatic story that they wanted to get out. And everyone was just like, kind of like, man, you have to charge them. You have to charge them this, like, even if they don't have it. And in my head, I was like, no, you don't need to charge them. If they don't have the money and you really feel in your heart that you don't need to charge them, help them out, pour into them because they're going to take your name into rooms you're not in and they're going to build your business for you. And I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had with people that used another real estate agent to buy a house. People I know that I grew up with that used another real estate agent to buy a house. And I'm pouring into them talking yeah. about, hey, this is how you file your homestead exemption. Hey, this is what you need to be doing. I can send you the rental. And I'm educating them on their home. I don't have to do that. But I was doing it because I, I love yeah. the industry and I truly care about people. And those conversations have trickled into them referring me out to their friends and family, even though I didn't represent them and I could have been bitter in the moment. I'm not helping this person. They, they didn't use me to be the realtor. Um, I poured into them. And so and this happened at Walmart, actually. I was talking to one of my buddies I grew up with, played baseball with, bought a house through somebody else. And I had a probably a 30-minute conversation in Walmart with him about real estate. And the next day, I get a call from one of his firefighter friends. Hey, man, you know, my buddy sent me your number. I'm trying to sell my house, looking to buy another house. And I was like, that is just a prime example about pouring into people and how the, the world rewards that. So um, loving your neighbor, it's in the Bible, is is very important. So if you're a real estate agent, pour into people. Because every person you interact with is an opportunity for you to help them. They have to they have to live in a home. So they have to rent a house, they have to buy a house, or they're going to have to sell a house at some point in their life. So it's an opportunity for you to grow your business. Yeah. It's uh, also honing your skills, like you said. And it's showing that expertise. And one thing I think you've done so well is be able to say like, this is what I do. I'm really good at it. I'm not scared to talk about it. And I'm not scared to put that out there. And whenever people hear that and listen to that, see your energy and feel that through like talking to you in person, I think it just exudes a lot of energy that people are attracted to and it's magnetic. And then that is the first thing that's on their mind when they think about real estate. I've you know seen this so many times with you know, the cadence that you post on social media and stuff, right? You want to own real estate in people's head at the same time, even if it's not, no pun intended, yeah. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because whenever they think of that specific industry, they you want them to think about you. And that's the only way for that to be, you know, possible is for you to put yourself out there. And so I think you've done a hell of a job of, you know, word of mouth, like is like the most powerful thing and being real specific in the corners that you play in, you know, really targeting that DFW area that you service as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all ties into not only 
um, social media, but having authentic conversations with people not just about real estate, man, care about people. When they tell you things, don't for, don't forget their names. They tell you a story about how they just lost a family member, check in on them. You know, there's, there's so many ways that you can grow your business without directly talking about your business, but just pouring into people and just being a good person. And I don't know how many calls have I had since I've been here with you about just clients that are like, Hey, I heard, heard of you through Facebook. I'm looking to rent a house. Hey, you know, I'm trying to sell my house. I saw you on TikTok. Like it's 24 seven. And it's just a lot of that comes from the the past clients I've had. And then just pouring into people and having as many conversations about real estate as I possibly can. Um, and, and a lot of that too, and that confidence you were talking about earlier, that comes from work I put in, not on camera, not with other people, you know, work that I put in when I'm, you know, in my office at 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday and I'm, and I'm learning how to, you know, fine tune my skills that confidence is built. The confidence is built then. And then from there, you're able to really portray it to the world and, and kind of tell people about what you know and, and what you can do for them. Yeah. I think yeah, the, the only place you can only hone that skill by putting yourself in the arena. Yep. Um, it, I think what you mentioned too is a lot about intuition, like feeling those moments, having good EQ is even more important than the IQ at that moment. Has there been a time for you or has there been something that's really helped you hone that personable skill and that charisma that you can hold in a room? It took years. I'm a natural introvert. I don't like, I didn't like to to talk to people. I was more like, I'm going to show them who I am through my work ethic. And that's how I was kind of was lived my childhood. I was kind of scared to talk to girls, even through high school. I just, I didn't, I couldn't walk in up to a woman and like have a conversation with her because I was intimidated. And I was like, why? And it really took putting myself in uncomfortable situations, moving from state to state and really walking into a room with a bunch of strangers and, and just putting myself out there and, and yeah. talking to them. And I think from uh, junior college is when I really started to learn that when I was like out on my own away from my family in a room with a hundred other, you know, men from different states where I'm like having to, you know, be friends with these people, learn about them. And then moving to Missouri was even a huge culture shock for me when I met y'all yeah. and Again, that was when I started really honing in on those skills on being able to talk to people. And that's something that you develop, especially as an introvert. It's not easy to like being a real estate agent as an introvert. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But once you hone in on that skill, you'll actually learn that you love to talk to people and you love people. And it's really exciting when you can walk into a room with a bunch of strangers and not feel insecure and walk up to them and have conversations with them. And I think Mason, you do a really good job of this. I don't think I've ever met a person that didn't leave a room, um, without feeling very comfortable when you were in it. And that's something that I've learned from you as well. And, and I love to watch extroverts because I can take the skills away from them because I'm naturally an introvert. And if I don't hone in <laughs> on talking to people that are strangers and hone in on that skill to be an extrovert, I'll go back to my introvert ways. It's kind of like uh, working out. If you quit working out, you'll lose that muscle. You will get yeah. fat. Like it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. And for me, that's what it is. So I constantly have to put myself in those uncomfortable situations to hone in on those skills. Yeah, it's... <laughs> That's a good one, man. I, uh, it doesn't matter how long you've done something. Like if you haven't made it a habit in your life and you fall off on that, that's why I hate all the diets, the fads, the things that's like the quick and easy fix. Like you talked about earlier, you know, um, that piece of what you do has made you successful. I think because of the fact that you're combining the hard work, filling in the areas that you know that you need to do some work on and then putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions, but transitioning from Texas to Missouri, what was that like? And what was like, 
What was it like to finally eat some good food? Oh, no. Oh, it was a culture shock to say the least. The weather was probably the hardest thing I had to deal with, just the snow and the cold weather 24-7, being, you know, 10 hours away from my family. I didn't have the the Texas culture, you know, the hospitality I felt like wasn't there. Um, I'm a Texas boy at heart, and it it was engraved in me. And it, it was tough, but I can truly say I met some of my best friends that'll, that'll be a part of my wedding one day that'll, that'll be there, um, for the rest of my life. And, and you know, our group message with our eight friends, yeah. or, it gives us life, you know, it's, it's a place we can go where we feel at home, where we can kind of step away from all the, the heartaches of the world, the tough things going on. We can just be ourselves and, and just, you know, be authentic. And it's, it's awesome that I met y'all. It really is because y'all changed my life. And it took me, it took me adjusting and, and really realizing like, these are really good people. And, we built something that I don't think will ever be broken for the rest of my life. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, you know, I don't believe in coincidences at all. I think everything happens for a purpose by a purpose and that there is a higher power that's leading everything that you do in life. And, you know, that transition, you know, me in my early stages, tearing my ACL, my sophomore year, right when I was like getting so much traction for uh, scholarships and sports and then doing it again right before I came to Lindenwood and having to sit a year out. Like those things I look back and I think like, wow, like I have the same as you had the D1 aspiration and, and even before had those letters coming in before the knee and I was almost going into Lindenwood like, like I know I can do better, but it's just crazy seeing you know what happens when you actually learn to lean on the fact that everything does happen for a reason you can always have peace in that that's something that i've always had peace in at least no matter what happened in my life that was super bad or you know made me feel some type of way i always like could turn and feel like hey this is there's something there's something god's trying to teach you in this moment and so I always try to lean on that. And I think that's important because I think, wow, what happens for people that don't have that? Like, that's where I feel like a lot of heart heartbreak things start to get even worse in people's lives because they don't have those friends or they don't have that higher power or they don't have something that they could lean on um, or feel like they can lean on. So what is what has that been like for you in terms of, you know, not only, you know, growing your faith, but also really starting to see life from a different perspective as you've grown into your business, as you've grown as a man. So I think if, if you don't have, if you truly don't have a faith and you don't have friends, I could not imagine how tough life is for you. I I couldn't, I, I feel for you. Um, my faith alone has brought me through some really low points in my life and I've grown my faith tremendously over the last four years. It's been the greatest transformation throughout my entire life has been the last four years of just me diving into the word of God um, and truly, you know, taking a step back and kind of just calming down in life, not going as fast and like seeing things for what they really are and seeing how the, Hey, that bad situation wasn't even a bad situation that taught me X, Y, and Z. And if I didn't learn X, Y, and Z, there's no way I could even be walking in the the story I'm walking in right now. Like I wouldn't be able to handle these relationships because I wouldn't have learned those lessons. And now when a hard thing happens to me or I, you know, I catch a, a bad break, I'm like, 
nah, this isn't bad. <laughs> yeah. There's something here. I don't know what, but I do know that, that the Lord loves me and I know I'm walking in his will and I know whatever it is that, that he's bringing, it's preparing me for something so much bigger. And that's such a cliche, a cliche saying, yeah. but it's so true. And I promise you right now, if you just kind of reflect on your life, on how you got to wherever you are, whoever you are, there's things that have happened to you that taught you lessons that, that prepared you to walk in the story um, and in the life you're walking right now. And those bad things were actually probably good things and, and you're probably grateful they happened. So just having a perspective in life is very important, but having a faith because just because you know things are going to get better and you know it's going to be a lesson in the future that helped you grow doesn't mean it makes it any less hard to deal with. So yeah. having a faith and being able to have a God that, that you can talk to or whatever your religion is, you need, you need something that you truly believe in that's a higher power because I think we can all agree there's something that's a higher power because these trees aren't growing from the ground and our brains aren't wired the way we are and like our skin and our blood and the way we are as humans, like it didn't just happen overnight. Like there's a higher power and there's no doubt about it. And I, I believe in Jesus and I believe that um, he is, he's with us every single day. And for me, that's what helps me go day to day. And I, and I believe that's what helps me grow and having Jesus as part of my intuition has helped me make decisions that has gotten me to this point today. Yeah. I think you, some people call it the universe, God source. It's, it's this thing that's in you that you can feel. Yeah. And when you tap into it and you feel it and you live by it and you let it guide, you know, some of your choices and decisions that you make, I feel like there's a huge difference in a lot of the outcomes when you start, but to get to that point, I realized, you know, cause I, even growing up in a traditional church religion, right. My relationship with God, with spirit, with like, you know, the deeper side of myself had to grow on my own. And like, I had to make my own mistakes and go my own path and like have that own personal relationship. Uh, but I also think like when when you have a, when you eat like shit, when you don't work out, when you have poor friends, when you put yourself in bad rooms and bad situations, everything gets kind of clouded, right? Like that intuition, that light, that source that you can pull from, that you can listen to in hard situations is like kind of numb and, and buzzed out. Right. And I talk about this all the time and it's, to me, it's alignment. Like when you have full alignment in those three pillars in your mind and your body and your spirit. And those three are working together. Like you can like, it's, it's crazy. I'm sure you have some stories. I do. I do. It's crazy. The things that start happening, you're like, Whoa, that was not a coincidence. Like I cannot believe <laughs> that just happened. Like yep. what? And you think back, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Like it's mind blowing. The things that start happening when you set intention and then you allow to really be, driven by that intuition by that spirit like it's it, nuts yeah i have a story i'll share briefly so when i first did 75 hard was the first time in my life i was living in full alignment mind body spirit and i wrote out my goals because i started on january 1 and i wrote out my goals and one of my goals was to buy to own three rental properties by the end of the year i had not i did not own a house at this time not even one but i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna own three at the end of this year and I started meditating and just every night I would lay down on my rug in my living room and I would just turn everything off and be in pitch black. And I would envision being and owning those rental properties, being in that car, being in those goals already. And this was in January. I was doing this every night and it was really hard to do, but you start to love it because you really start to live in that moment and feel those feelings of what that's like as if you already have it. And it was February when I got a phone call and this guy said, Hey, I'll never forget this. He said, Hey, um, I have three condos I want to sell as a package deal. And 
the light bulb freaking went off and it was like in my brain i was like there's no way this is happening and i was like absolutely like i'm interested send them over to me emailed them over to me probably a week later they're under contract i closed on them and i bought three condos in february and two months into the year i own three rental properties and it, <laughs> it was it, it was a moment for me where i was like this is real when you align your mind body and spirit the universe rewards it and um yeah. ever since then that's that's how i've been operating and it's it's become true in my life in so many different things but that was when i was like i have a power like i have access to this power we all have access to it but until you actually you know put it into play and see it work in your life you won't ever believe in it or even know you have access to it so it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it's nuts dude the things that happen i swear it's it's crazy but you know i think when i look back it's like i needed all of those shortfalls those lessons those things to get me to where I am. Like I had to do, I had to go through those things by myself. Like I had to create that relationship one-on-one, like no matter what, no one, no one could tell me shit. You know, I had to, you know, put myself in those situations and at least try to understand and grow deeper. And that's why I think today's world has a lot of issues because we don't want to hear the other side. We think our way is right. You know, you know, up is up, down is down. There is no gray area. And in reality, like everything is gray, like everything can be changed by the way that you look at it. You know, this looks different up here. If I'm laying on the floor, I'm going to look different to the camera. Like everything can change by your perspective, your experiences. And we all look through this lens of our own, you know, we put the blinders on so much. I think one of the things that changed my life so much in the last, you know, three to four years was realizing that I know nothing. And that I need to like listen to everything and like take it for what it is and then do my own research on it and experience it and actually like put myself in a position to experience that as best as I can. Because everybody is just living in their own little like bubble in their own reality. Yeah. And I don't think anybody truly has it right. I think we're all, it's a constant learning curve. The world's constantly changing, you know, and I think what is right can be different to many different people. And that's why it's important to have your mind, body and spirit in line so that you really know you're acting and, and living in a way that's in line with what you really want. So yeah, being open and I'm a very white and black person, um, as far as like how I live my life. And that's something that I've really been focusing on is like, okay, there, there isn't just a white and black way. There is a gray area sometimes, you know, and there is different perspectives and ways to look at things. So, um, I think it's, it's important to know who you are and where you're going and then being able to operate out of, you know, that mindset while still keeping your mind open to other people's point of views. So that's, that's interesting. You say that because something I've really been focusing on as I grew up, I've been white and black, blue collar, like this is right. This is wrong. And there's no gray area. So it's funny you say that because it's, it's something I've been working on myself. Yeah what is, you know, the next step for you? Like, what's the end game? You know, you talk like, what is that vision for you now at this point, you know, where you've had the success and you're starting to really feel that momentum. So the end game is, I don't know. I really don't know where the end is and I don't ever want an end to be honest with you. I think I'm going to work for the rest of my life. And it's not because I'm like spending my money and I'm like, I'm going to have to work for the rest of my life. It's because I enjoy working. I enjoy having a sense of purpose. Like, if I'm not working, I feel just, I, I can't sit, like, it's hard for me to sit on a beach and look at the water and relax. It really is. Cause my mind's like, no, 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 I need to go work. Like, I need to do this. I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. So for me, I don't know where the end is. And I truly could put numbers out there and, and, Hey, I want to own this much real estate and I want this, this, and this, but I think I'd be underselling myself 
because I think the the ceiling is so much higher than I can probably even put into words right now. So I'm just taking it year by year, day by day at this point and, and seeing how far I can really grow. And then we'll see where I'm at in five years. And that's kind of my mindset. Everyone sets these five year plans, these 10 year plans. I just really never believed in that because for me, it's the world's constantly changing and evolving and um, you constantly, your plan's constantly changing. So I like to take it week by week, day by day. And I set yearly goals, but I don't necessarily focus on those yearly goals. I backtrack and like, Hey, how can I get to this? But I'm like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to put as much effort as I can into the present day every single day. And let's see where we are in a year. Cause it's probably going to be a lot further along than we thought. You kind of mentioned it there, but how one thing I feel like I've been dealing with lately too, as I've you know gotten further along in my business pursuits and just things that I want for my life and the way that I want to live my life and, and craft my life is, you know, balancing the ambition piece that's so strong in both of us, I think, and then the presence piece. Cause sometimes I, I, I really get deeper into like the, the thinking phase of like, crafting what I want and how I want. And, you know, all these things that are not in the present moment because the ambition is there, right? I want to be able to like see things, envision things, plan them out. So how have you been able to balance, you know, your ambition, but also being present and enjoying what life is now and where you're at now? That's something I've been working on as well. Um, yeah. Enjoying the present moment is so hard, especially in my business, because you're always chasing the next deal. Yeah. So like it's a rat race. It really is. And that's what I love, though. I love that rat race. That's what drives me, to be honest. I could never work off. Even if I had a million dollar salary, I'd be miserable because I know there's a ceiling and I can't I can't operate out of a place where I know there's a cap. So for me, I've been learning to operate in the present moment. And I think alcohol distorts my memory of what the true value of a moment is. And this is really cool for me that I'm going to spend this whole year sober because I really think I'll be able to take in exactly what I'm doing every single day, every experience I'm having. And I'll be able to remember it for exactly how it happened um, because I won't have that distorted memory from like the highs of alcohol because it'll be a, you know, a flat line, just smooth sailing road through. 2023. So that's something that, uh, reason I gave up alcohol as well. I was like, I'm going to be able to really enjoy every, every day. Um, and remember every day for exactly how it was. Cause it's going to be completely sober minded. So this is pretty cool to, to something I realized through the end of last year. Yeah. What's one thing that challenges you the most when it comes to, <clears throat> You know, why, why, why was it, I feel like you've been really driven for this piece. Was it the 75 hard that kind of showed you like, wow, this may dole me out a little bit. Like what was it really that, you know, brought you to this decision to quit drinking? Yeah. So 75 hard is what is what did it. Um, 75 hard showed me I could operate out of a, out of a completely different capacity as a person. I could be way more productive. I'm like, you see people like, uh, I forget the guy that did arms for 365 days in a row, the (laughs) the bodybuilder, but that's frowned upon. It's like, you need to take recovery. You need to take recovery. But in reality, you can, you can actually transition your body to, to be able to take on that, that blow every single day to your arms. And it's the same thing with work. You can condition your body to work seven days a week but still be able to enjoy life. Like you can condition yourself. David Goggins is a prime <laughs> example. This man yeah. is insane. He does things that it's, I can't mentally, like I love reading about him. Cause I'm like, how did this man run a hundred miles in one day? Like, how did he do that? And I'm like, I barely can run six and like I, my legs are done. <laughs> and it's really because he's created a new reality and he's broke limits and there's no cap in his mind. And, um, for me, 
I'm training myself to be able to operate at a capacity that no other person in this industry can operate out of. And that comes with time. And the more things that I can take out of my life that are holding me back, like alcohol, the more that I can excel myself to be able to take on a workload that's crazy to some people. But to me, it'll just be my normal, uh, my normal day. What's your definition of an alpha male in today's society? Oh, so this is a good question, actually. (laughs) Alpha male to me, I think has a, that's a very controversial, (laughs) that's a controversial statement. That's why I love it. (laughs) So for me, an alpha male would be somebody who is fully in charge of their decision making. That when they're making decisions, they're making them out of the principles in their life that they've set for themselves, you know? their morals, their character, their integrity. So when they make a decision, it might not always be the easiest decision, but it's the best decision for them in their future. Um, but at the same time, I think in today's world, an alpha male is also has a, um, like a charismatic side, being able to open up about your mental health, being able to open up about the things you're dealing with and not just being like, you know, life is easy. Life is this, like, you know, life is really hard. And there's so many things we deal with. Like, the 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 stigma about men don't cry is the, it's so stupid to me because I some of the toughest times of my life man I'm a crier I'm an emotional person I have no shame in that yeah. and sometimes when I cry it helps me actually deal with the what I'm dealing with it gets it out of me and it and it helps me be able to just cleanse my view so I would say an alpha male is someone who can can take responsibility for their life they have a direction in their life they have a purpose in their life but at the same time they're honing in on those. Uh, those feminine skills, as so they say, and, and really getting in touch with their body and being able to bring people along with them at the same time as not breaking their integrity, their character, and their morals that they've set for their life. Yeah, I'd like to direct that to you, though. What, what, what is your definition of an alpha male? I know um, when we were on that mastermind, what was your? What, how did you introduce yourself? You're the world's best alpha coach. Yep, the world's best alpha coach. You know, it's it's interesting to me too, and I've talked about this from the coaching perspective because a lot of people in this space are coaches, right? But I feel like, similar to you, I'm am emotional person. Like I get very invested in people, and so I kind of wear a lot of like the struggle or the things that they're going through as well. So I think you know, coach, this is my form of coaching. Like this is my way of having these conversations because you know, people that really want to invest in their lives and want to invest in their health, their mindset, get better, you know, make the most money that possible, you know, be able to be the best example for everyone around them. Like they're listening to this show. They're listening to other shows. They're reading books. They're thirsting for knowledge. Like I remember during those early phases, I was like really diving into those things. Um, so, I mean, I kind of went off the, off the tracks there, but to me, an alpha male is someone who, you know, is a protector, is a provider, uh, for his family, you know, is someone who, like you said, is in touch with the feminine, his femininity, his feminine side, at least, um, the traits that women are better at naturally, you know, emotional, um, and not in a bad way. I don't want to say like women are emotional in a bad way, you know, being able to express your emotions is a huge piece and something that, you know, the rub the dirt in it phase, you know, we got told that a million times. Well, I think there's a time and a place for rub some dirt in it. I think it shouldn't be the only thing that you can turn to because some of the best conversations and really a part of why I started this was because I love the conversations, whether we had some booze in us or not. I love those late night conversations where it was like real and it was heartfelt and you could feel that other guys or that person's emotion, you know, by having that conversation. And I was like, this is real. Like, I don't like the simulation. Like, 
hope all is well. Have a good day, yeah, buddy. Exactly. Like those kind of things. I was like, I, you break people's like simulation and like the track that their mind is in that almost, um, you know, just like that auto auto phase that they're on. Uh, when you kind of like ask certain questions, you know, pose things differently. And so to be in touch with that side, I think is super important for a man. But I also think, you know, being strong, like taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, being able to make money, like these things are important and they shouldn't be frowned upon. Um, you know, having ambition, having drive, like those are the more masculine things that people think about correlated to the word alpha. But I think a per a proper balance within that is really what it is. And I don't think it has anything to do with womenizing. I don't think it has anything to do with misogyny or, you know, anything that the media so-called like relates in alpha, the, the word alpha to, right. Um, I think that, you know, men are better at some things. Women are better at some things, but you should be able to like embody those things and be a well-balanced human. When you do that and you provide, I think that's, you know, what a real alpha male is. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head. I wasn't ready for that question at all. So I'm, <laughs> gl- I'm glad you asked that though. Um, that's something I really probably going to think about going forward of like what is defined as an alpha male. Um, I like to live my life according to just scripture. Um, and that's really what I've been focusing on, especially my business as well. Like that being the pillar of how I operate out of and where I operate from. So I think in the Bible, there's a lot of the answers to a lot of our questions, but even in the Bible that how many times is, is there a man weeping? I mean, the Lord Jesus, how many times is he weeping in the Bible for us? So, um, I think that, yeah, we've, our culture has turned what a man is into something that isn't necessarily true. And it's, it's kind of a stigma that, that has been laid on a man for a long time. And I think especially now with the mental health and counselors and counseling being so um, available and talked about, it's starting to change. Um, which is good because the, the way yeah. like my dad and my dad and your dad yeah. grew up, it was, Hey, rub some dirt on it. Why are you crying? You shouldn't be crying. You're, you're a boy, you're a man. And, yeah. and things have changed a lot. So, but I also do think, like you said, there's a time and a place where you need to rub some dirt on it. You need to be tough. You're, yeah. you're, you're put on this earth to protect and provide. And that comes with the burden of going through really hard times and dealing with them. Um, but yeah. at the same time, being in touch with, with the other side and knowing when, when you can let that out on who you can let that out to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of things are starting to try and get sugar coated. Right. And I think that there's, it's an interesting change that's happening right now where, you know, there's a, a lot of voices that are coming up and saying like, this is really what we want as women or as men, this is what we should be like modeling and providing as like someone who can really provide for their household and, you know, be a backbone and someone that can stand up for what they believe in. Um, but I also think that like the powers that be are trying to, you know, have as many docile, weak men as possible because those kind of people are easier to control. It's like sheep, right? You can easily push them in whatever direction you want them to go instead of strong men who have values, have morals, have things that they stand up for, aren't afraid to take a stand when they think something is wrong. Yeah. You know, that is technically a threat to some to some people to some organizations to some things right so i'm glad that there is people starting to speak up about it and you know people like it people will hate it but you know to me that's my truth and so i've gotten to the point where i stopped caring a little bit about what people say like i had to get to the point where for me, I was always trying to be a people pleaser. Like I wanted the girls to like me. I wanted obviously people to like me. And so I feel like I kind of played to that. Like 
a, a lot of what drove me to work so hard in sports was because like I knew that roar of the crowd and that feeling and like being the guy that walked through the hallway and like felt so good, you know, it felt powerful and it felt like you were in a place of like command and like, not only that you were there and that you were getting that satisfaction and, and like knowing that people saw you for what you had done, but you also knew like all the hard work that you put in, like that feeling is amazing. But as I grew a little bit and started to like, look back at my life, I realized that like, so much of what I was doing was to play to that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it maybe wasn't in alignment with like who I actually was. And so I feel like we all have innate skills and like using them for one thing or another, you know, it's up to you. And I I don't think I really had that perspective until I kind of went through that and realized that, damn, like you have gifts. Everybody that's listening to this has innate gifts and abilities. Like, how are you going to use them? And are you going to like be scared to speak your truth because of what other people say? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think being able to define who you are is an important, um, that's an important question in life. And I don't even think you think about it in college or in high school. It's like, (laughs) it's not really something you're worried about, you know? I thought about beer and women. (laughs) Yeah. That's all you're thinking about the next party you're going to. Yeah. So it really took till I got out of college. So I was like, who am I? Like, what am I going to be in life? Where am I going to go? You know, how are people going to know me? What is my identity? And those are questions that really come up when you get out of sports and you're not around a hundred other guys every day and, and around all these women and in this party scene all the time. And you're just sitting in your house and you're like, I have to go get a job and make money now. And like, <laughs> yeah. like I got to walk into like a job interview, like things change quickly. And, and I think that's where the transition happens in your life where you start to question and, and wonder who you are. Um, and that's when a lot of those emotions start to happen as well. Like depression, sadness, you know, anxiety, you're like, what, what's going on in my life? So, um, that's, that's a moment where you're going to define who you are, especially if you're watching this and you're, and you're transitioning from college to the real world. You really need to sit down with yourself and figure out who you're going to be in this world and, and maybe even put that on paper and, um, going forward, operate from, from that statement or from that paragraph you wrote down. Yeah. I mean, either you decide who you're going to be or someone else will decide yep. it for you, yep. bro. Like, yeah, you, you, that one's pretty black and white. I mean, and the good thing is that we have the power over it. We have the control to do that. We just have to take it back, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think taking that control is really hard actually. Cause you know, four years ago when I was started working for my dad, I could have let him dictate my life at that very moment. I could have said, I'm going to work for him. I'm going to make, you know, 60, 70,000 a year. It's cush job. I'm going to do, that's what I'm going to do. And at that moment I said, that's not who I'm going to be, who I'm going to be as an entrepreneur. And I'm going to go build something. And I don't know exactly what that something is, but I'm going to go build it. And at that moment, when you, when you start to have, have to operate out of who you are, it's very uncomfortable. And I actually listened to a podcast with, uh, Ed Milet and a guy named Colin Brady, who hmm. it was an incredible podcast. This guy's climbed Antarctica or walked across Antarctica with a 375 pound sled <laughs> over a 48 day span. It was, this guy's incredible, but he talked about in life. We, we live in these five experiences. We live in these fives every single day. We have an okay wife. We have an okay job. We have an okay house. We have an okay car. But we don't have a great car. We don't have a great spouse. We don't have a great, and we don't have great anything. And in order to go from good to great, you have to take that five experience off the table and you have to go down to a one experience and you have to live in that one for sometimes months or maybe even years before you're ever, ever able to experience that 10. And that's something that really resonated with me in my life. So what I've been doing is putting myself through really hard situations and through tough experiences that are ones technically. And in the end, it puts me at a 10 level. And I think that's why I'm able to live the quality of life I am now because 
for the last four years, I've, I've been through the trenches and I, and I've seen it, you know, what it's like to have nothing, what it's like to build from nothing. And that showed me the value of so many different things in my life. But yeah, I think operating from a, from a standpoint of knowing where you are in life and where you want to go and what it actually takes to get there. Yeah. And that's to me where I started looking at, man, this really shitty spot that I'm in this low, this depression, this thing that I'm feeling at this certain moment, you know, I can sit and wallow in it or I can like look and use it as something that fuels me. Some of the darkest emotions have the strongest like power behind them and you can channel it into something good or bad at that point. And I think about like the highs and lows that you were talking about, like a one versus a 10. If you don't have the ones and the twos, you know, those tens don't feel as, as good. Like I feel like the ebbs and the flows, like that's life. That's, it's like the waves coming in and going back out. It's this circular motion, this energy that you have to realize it's like the stock market. Yeah. Dude. Like yeah. what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And you know, it depends on how hard you're going to come down on how high you are at that point and like how you handle that high. But you know, I think that's, what's beautiful about life. Like we would <laughs> as amazing as it would be to just drive at 10 the whole fucking time. Like, that's not reality and it's also not life and life's beautiful so you just kind of have to see like those low moments are as just as beautiful they are and it's it's the same thing with uh like the sun for instance if there wasn't rain the sun wouldn't be valued if the if there wasn't snow the sun wouldn't be valued you need those those bad days those dark days to show you the value of what it's like to have something like the sun and something we would take for granted if we just had it every day and it's the same thing when, when you're out in the cold all day and you finally get to take that warm shower. It's, it's the best feeling in the world versus if it's just hot outside and you take a warm shower, you're like, oh, you know, whatever. That, that, there's no meaning there. So it's important to know when you're going through a one in your life that you should smile because the, the gratification you're going to get when you go from a one to a 10 is something that is very euphoric and, it, and it's what makes life life. So um, appreciate those ones because it, it's, it's important that you live in a one so that you can get to the 10. And if you didn't have the one, there's not going to be an opportunity to get, to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Where can everybody find you on social? That's listened this far. Yeah. So you can find me on, I'm on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, you can look me up. It's T underscore Hogan, H O G A N zero one on, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then on TikTok, I'm the millennial realtor and it's the dot millennial dot realtor. Make sure you put two N's and two L's in millennial. <laughs> <laughs> had to, had to finesse yeah. that one a little. <laughs> All right, when I was making my logo, I almost misspelled that. I was like, ah, I probably can't misspell millennial in my branding. So just a heads up there. Thank y'all for tuning in to part one of the two part series with Tyler Hogan, the millennial realtor. Hit that subscribe button. Wherever you're listening, give us a rating, give us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. It helps push us forward in the rankings, and it also helps us be seen by more people so we can continue to build this family. So thank you guys for continuing to listen, continuing to support the show, and we look forward to seeing you at part two with Tyler Hogan. <laughs>